You know, Dano Seasoning is changing the world one table at a time by offering the best all-natural low-sodium seasoning products on the market. Dano's goals are to provide you with real flavors to make healthier food choices without ever having to sacrifice the real taste. Dano's includes low sodium, which is only 50 milligrams per serving. It has all natural unrefined sea salt. There's no sugar, no MSG, no chemicals, and it's completely gluten-free. Also, there's 100% natural ingredients. Dano's seasoning is the most versatile seasoning on the market. Grill, smoke, bake, create soups, sauces, marinades. You can also sprinkle Danos on your eggs, your potatoes, maybe some pizza, maybe some pasta, and even while you're watching a movie, sprinkle some Danos on popcorn. Heck, if you're crazy, why don't you put some Danos on ice cream? Any food that exists, you can put some Danos on it. Go to danosseasoning.com, use my promo code HodgePodge, capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. Guys, remember to do that. Um, just like the spelling of the podcast, a capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. You can try all three flavors, which include original, spicy, and hot chipotle right now today. It's damn good. Yum, yum. Get you some. Welcome to the HodgePodge Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Dylan Hodge, but you guys already know that. I am on Instagram at I am Mr. Dylan Hodge. You can follow the podcast as well at the HodgePodge Podcast over on Instagram. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, won't you give me a five-star review and then write a little review that'll help us grow on the podcast spectrum. If you're listening on Spotify, they just added the five-star review as well. And anywhere else you are listening to this podcast on the podcast platforms, uh, just, 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 won't you leave us a review at least? <laughs> we have gotten plenty of reviews, but I'm still not satisfied. Never hungry, but never satisfied. Um... If you're listening to this and watching this over on the YouTube channel, once you hit that subscribe button and then hit that little bell right there by the subscribe button, that's going to let you know when I put up new podcasts each and every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Um, thanks for joining in on today's episode. Big news here. We have a new sponsor for the podcast. We have been going off Raise Energy for uh, maybe a year, maybe a little less. Um, we've always thanked Ray's Energy. They're still part of the podcast. They're still here sponsoring the shows like always. But we have a new uh, sponsor, which you heard before the podcast aired, and that's Dano's. Dano Seasoning. You know, I fell in love with Dano's. Um, I, obviously, I fell on the TikTok trend, and I saw this guy, Dano's, and he was making the seasoning. And it looked delicious, and so I decided to try it, and then I was just hooked. And it has been long overdue, two years, maybe two and a half years, I've been trying to get Dano's on as a sponsor. And by God, we've got Dano's seasoning on the podcast. So thank you, Dano's. Thank you guys for actually listening in and giving me a big enough audience to where I can have multiple sponsorships per episode. It's cool having Ray's Energy, which is a delicious energy drink, and then... uh, Dano's, which is a delicious seasoning, it's crazy. It's absolutely amazing to be able to say that I am making a living somewhat. <laughs> doing a podcast. Hey, I can't buy a house right now, but someday I will be able to. Someday. You know, the podcast is um, growing, rapidly growing. Um, but it's kind of hard to keep up with sometimes because I get a, I get a lot of emails and then I get lost on the emails and then a lot of people get irritated because I got lost in the emails. So I'm going to do better. Um, so it's almost February 1st, it's almost the first of the month and it has been absolutely mayhem. It's only it's January 31st when you're hearing this. So February 1st is, you know, the following day, Tuesday. And it's like I haven't had a chance to take a breath. It has been crazy from Thanksgiving to now. And I'm pretty, and I'm hoping that it's going to be just as this crazy because I love it ever so much. I love it. But it's Monday. You know what that means. Another Monday, another podcast, another interview. And on the podcast today... We've got Robert Lewis. Now, a lot of people may not know who Robert Lewis is. I didn't know either. My friend, Minnie Murphy, 
podcast alumni uh, messaged me and was like, hey, let's get this guy on your show. He has an, an awesome story. And I love talking to people in the music industry, not just artists. And so I jumped on this right away. So Robert Lewis is a radio DJ. He's been in Hawaii, New Orleans, Louisiana. He's been all over the world doing radio. Um, he's talking today about being born in Germany and then his parents dying. And then he gets adopted and goes to a farm in Colorado and lives. Um, he's also chatting about the first time he heard music on the radio and why that specifically sparked his career. He wanted to be the person to introduce the music. He didn't want to be the person performing the music. He wanted to be the person saying, hey, here's Johnny Cash's new song, Boy Named Sue. He wanted to be that. He's also chatting about why music isn't supposed to be consistent, why it should always be changing, chatting about going from vinyl to CD to digital in all of his radio years and just how difficult it was and also how easy it was and how fun it was. He's in the middle of writing his autobiography called My Trips Around the Sun. That will be posted when it's all done and finished and up. Um, you guys know I love to incorporate guests and their projects on the podcast. His favorite interview was Ronnie Millsap and he chats and talks about why. Also, befriending Garth Brooks, quitting radio because he hated being told what to do and to play music. So, all that and more right here, right now, on the HodgePodge Podcast. Man, I'm doing good, Mr. Robert. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me. Well, I listened to a couple of your, the Jason uh, podcast and Jacob Bryant. Right. I thoroughly enjoyed that, especially Jacob. He's got a great voice. I got his, I bought his album after you talked about him. I like his stuff. I like his voice. <laughs> yeah, man, Jacob's a good guy, and I appreciate you, um, Appreciate you uh, listening, and I, uh, thanks to our uh, good friend Minnie for uh, actually setting this up for us. Yeah, there's a girl that can sing, man. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, you know, her people actually got to me, and they were like, "Hey, we want you to interview." You know, Minnie, and I have a rule on the podcast, and I kind of st I've stuck with it for five years, and it's you know I don't interview anyone that either doesn't have a cool story or, you know, that I don't thoroughly enjoy. So once people are on here, that, me that means that I enjoy them. So obviously, you know, Minnie is a um, good friend of the podcast, and she's also a heck of a singer as well, like you said. Oh, yeah, she's great. Uh, what part of Mississippi are you from? Man, I am from a small town. It's a blink, and you'll miss it town. It's called Wiggins. <laughs> it's right between... Um, Guffport or Biloxi and then Hattiesburg. It's kind of like right in the middle of those two. So I did. I worked at the radio station in Columbia, Mississippi, back in seventy-seven to eighty. Really? Which one was that? Because Columbia is like what forty minutes from me. It's uh, WFFF. Okay. I don't know. They may have changed the call letters. Right, but there, there's there's only like one radio station in Columbia, so. <laughs> yeah, that's all there was. It was AM, and then they had an FM that was automated, and it was hard to say the call letters on the top of the ID, W, F, F, F. <laughs> you know, it was really hard. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I I did uh, 30 years in radio, and, and have been here 20 years working at this publishing company with songwriters and and I've always liked songwriters. I remember uh, <clears throat> in the early days of radio, we had to write down all the songs that we played for BMI. Uh -huh. And there was one, one writer, his name was Don Goodman. 
And I said, wow, good man. That's a cool name. I'd like to meet him. And, of course, so 30-some years later, I got to meet him, and we're good friends. He, he wrote, uh, co-wrote uh, Angels Among Us for Alabama, uh, Dixie Road for Lee Greenwood, Ring on Her Finger for Greenwood and Reba. And uh, he's a great writer. He's been around a long time. You have uh, you've been around a long time as well. So uh, Robert, when we just jump into this, um, I was trying to talk to many. I was like, "Can you give me as much information about him as you can?" <laughs> because like you like like you had mentioned to her, and she mentioned to me is there's not a lot you can find about you um, on the internet. So kind of let's just start from the beginning. Take me to where where were you born? Where were you raised? Well, I was born in Germany, and then my parents came over to America. And uh, went through Ellis Island, and then they wound up in New Mexico. And then uh, uh, they they had another son, and uh, they both died. And we were adopted, me and my brother, for uh, some farmers in Colorado. And that's where I grew up, is in a small town in northwest Colorado, Steamboat Springs. Wow, so... And, so- I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but your family. So your mom and dad, they were German, or were they like American, and they just went over there for uh, work? Well, my mom was had been in the uh, Olympics back in 1936 when Hitler didn't like uh, like certain people. Right. And Jesse Owens, of course, won the three gold medals, and then my mom was uh, in the Olympics in the swim team for the country called Estonia. Cool. Got you. So, yeah, there's a lot of history there, and and uh, I finally found out that I had a half sister, and got to talk to her husband. She had had a stroke by the time I got up with her, but oh. uh, it's a long story on that part. But growing up in this small town in Colorado, northwest Colorado, is a place called Steamboat Springs. We we call it Ski Town, USA. And growing up, I always liked listening to what we called transistor radios. Mm-hmm. And they used nine volt batteries and had one headphone. And uh, that's how I got into music and listening to WLUP and Chicago at nighttime and KOMA out of Oklahoma City and WBAP out of Dallas, WSM out of Nashville. And. Uh, K.O. May was running, uh, doing rock and roll at the time, and I heard this commercial about, uh, do you want a new house? Do you want, would you like a new car? How about meeting all the pretty girls you can? <laughs> and you too can be in radio. And I thought, wow, that'd be so cool, because I love those guys' voices on the, on the air. And uh, needless to say, my, my adopted parents didn't want me to, to do that because it costs too much money mm-hmm. and uh after graduation i left and went joined the army this was 67 to 70 i was in the army and the army sent me to hawaii and uh after i got out i, I worked in uh surgery for a while and in 71 i went to uh san francisco to the same radio uh, school that they I had heard advertised when I was a kid, and uh, I thought that was great. I'm in San Francisco, never seen big tall buildings, and uh, after six weeks of the course, I got a my first real radio job at KWSD in Mount Shasta, California, north of uh, San Francisco. Now I want to stop you real quick, Robert. I get I got a question for you, so. You, you grew up in Colorado, you first heard the radio, first listened to music, and then you realized that you wanted to get into music. Now, at a young age, were you kind of, was there ever a, a thought in your mind where you're like, man, I just, I want to be on the radio as a musician, or was or has it always been, I want to be the guy that introduces the songs on the radio? I wanted to be the guy that introduced the songs and got to play the songs, and uh, just being one of the first to play a song before anybody else heard it. You know that that's cool because you're very. It was it's very unfortunate even today. I, I can't imagine what it was like, 
you know, back then that you knew what you wanted to do at such a young age? It, it was just exciting to, to listen to radio. You know, it was AM radio, of course, but uh, Clear Channel, uh, all those stations I mentioned, it, it was just, it was awesome to hear this music and get to play it and then get to talk about it. And it, it, it was just fascinated the devil out of me. And I did it for 30 years and God, I had fun, lots, met lots of people and, and got to play songs before anybody else got to hear them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of was that way as well. Like, you know, I'm just, I love music so much, but I can't sing a lick. I can't play any guitar, any instrument. So I was like, what better way? Because, you know, radio, I, I don't believe in the next 15, 20 years, radio is going to be a thing anymore. I think it's going to be like yeah. podcasts and stuff like that. So I was like, what, what a great way to just get in behind the scenes of the music like I like and do a podcast. Because I'm like you. I wanted to be the person that I wanted to know the backstory behind, okay, well, who is this person you know, in the yeah. pamphlet of the album. Who who is this person? I want to know and talk to this guy instead of the, you know the main you know yes. you know you know the main musician. Like for example, like I would love to chat to Willie Nelson. He is one of my favorites of all time. And but it would be cool to talk to Willie Nelson. Yes, but I think I can. I, I would be okay if I didn't. If I could talk to some people that worked on his albums. You know, I want to talk to those. Oh yeah, people. Yeah, I I can appreciate that. Because I've met a lot of the players, and there's a lot of them here in town, obviously. Mm. But uh, yeah, that was also fascinating too, just just to hear. And once I got into the music, uh, the publishing side of it, you meet these songwriters, and they write these words, and then they put a melody to it. Then you go into the production, and it, <laughs> it just amazes me what they can do in three minutes, tell a story, and have some meaning to it. And, and I've always enjoyed that side of it. I knew I couldn't sing because I tried that in the Army. I did. <laughs> I, I went up on stage and used the microphone and thought I could sing, but it sucked, and I never sang another lick since then. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy because songwriters just, you can be the crappiest of a songwriter, but still write a song, and you're still good at what you do because, for me, if I were to go and write a song, I would probably forget within the second verse, what I was writing about the first, and it's just going to be a whole totally different song the time the second verse comes around. So, like, those people have to be so well-trained or, you know, personally trained where they're like, okay, we have to get to this point at, th at this time of a song, you know, because you, know, you have to have a song between three minutes and four minutes, give or take, yes. you know, and you have to tell this life. You have to tell a life of... 80 years into a four-minute song, and a lot of people, it's just amazing to how a lot of people can do it. Oh, I know, and it, that's what fascinates me about yeah, the me song. Yeah, me too. It's like, uh, I've worked with Rich Alves and Bill McCorvey at Pirates of the Mississippi, mm -hmm. and they sit there, and, well, Rich, he, he's the melody guy, and, and every album, they did six albums, and Every album had an instrumental on there, and it was absolutely fascinating. And, and Bill McCorvey had a great voice, but they, uh, they did a song before the, I met them uh, called Pete Jake, but I used to play it on the radio also. But uh, the stories and how they, how they put them all together, and most of the songwriters aren't trained. They're, they just put, know how to put words down, and, and somebody else... It helps them make it rhyme or whatever, and they tell that story. It, it, it is, it's a fascinating career. You know, you mentioned that you knew exactly what you wanted to do. You know, when you were younger, you wanted to introduce songs on the radio, talk to these people on the radio. And I want to know, I wonder, the first check you ever got from doing what you wanted to do, where, did you feel accomplished because you're like, look, I was making money, you know, in the army or, you know, doing whatever kind of jobs around town, but I finally am able to make a paycheck doing what I've always wanted to do. I thought it was real cool. And, and of course, this is in 71. The first check, I think, was $86, so, you know, for the for the week. But uh, it was a daytime station. It signed off at sun, uh, when the sun went down. 
So I, I didn't stay there that long. Mm. And then I went back to Hawaii because I, I was in love with a girl. You <laughs> <laughs> know how that is. Right. But uh, I moved back to Hawaii and and uh, got my first radio, radio station there in Hawaii at a country station doing weekends. And I got the job because I knew how to say the Hawaiian words. Ah, okay. But uh, I did country, disco, and rock and roll and, and news in Hawaii for about five, five, five to six years I did that in Hawaii. So but, in Hawaii, your, your DJ name was Luke Warm. Kind of how did that name come about, you know, being your real name, being Robert Lewis? Like was it just, did someone give it to you or was it just something you picked out of the blue? No, I picked out of the, the wind we had an afternoon guy called Jim Shoes. Jim and Shoes. I thought, wow, what a cool name. Uh-huh. And me and the program director were talking, and, and I thought, well, I'm going to be on the middle of the day, so I'll, I'll be lukewarm. I'm not hot. I'm not God, cold. Ah, got you. So I stuck with that. And it, it kind of fit Hawaii, too, so... So how long were you in Hawaii before you, um, how long were you in Hawaii doing the radio job before you moved off into the next radio job? Five or six years. And I'd lived in Hawaii, uh, four years prior, you know, so, right. uh, 10 years we lived in Hawaii and, uh, I, I was, I was one of those kind of guys that, uh, wanted to be on top, be New York or LA or Chicago or Detroit. Or New Orleans and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but uh, we moved. We moved to Colorado. I worked at my hometown station for about six months because I started. I was looking for a gig, and I got the job there in Columbia, Mississippi, mm-hmm. which is Walter Payton's hometown. Right. And uh, I I worked there three years, and then worked at a small station in uh, WBOX at. Bogalusa, Louisiana, and then I started hunting jobs there in New Orleans and got a sales job and then I uh, heard that there was a country station coming to town and it was WNOE and I did midnights there for uh, about a year and then got to midday for all, uh, yeah, midday, noon to four and after that I went to Oklahoma City KXXY, and then went to, uh, I was there from 83 to 84, 84 to 85, I was at WQDR in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then I finally got my first program directorship at a station that had not been on the air, and I had to help, they gave me uh, five days to put it on the air, hire the people, put the music together, and uh, took five days to do that, so we we had, we did a lot of work, and I, I was there five and a half years mm. uh, and became number one station in that market and uh, then came out here to Nashville in 91 to 93, and then I had a burn accident. I burnt myself quite bad and went back to North Carolina and worked small-town stations there for the, till one. You know, you mentioned that, you know, in New Orleans you worked at WNOE. It's crazy to see now that that was, you know, that was the station coming to town was WNOE, and now it's like putting out news broadcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it fascinates me just, I don't know how it works. I don't care how it works. It's fascinating to me to see, you know, from going from, it's coming to town to now they're putting out all this broadcast, although, and it's not just radio anymore, you know. Oh, I know, and that's, there's two reasons I got out of radio. One was, it wasn't fun anymore. And second, too many consultants telling me what to do. Yeah. How to do, what music to play. Uh, you, sir, you don't know the community. I know the community. And my research that I did was going out and meeting the community. Getting right. to know the people, the, the store owners, the record shops, uh, all that. And that's how I did research. And, of course, back in the early days, in the 70s, we had uh, vinyl, and every album 
had the players, the producers, the songwriters, uh, tidbit stories. I could do trivia. That's how I learned about country music was reading uh -huh. the albums and stuff like that. Same way with disco and rock and roll. You can you can learn about a lot of things off of uh, the, back in those days, the CD, or I mean the vinyl. Yeah, I, I understand completely with the consultant thing. Like, I... I'm the only one that does my, I don't have no producer because I don't want people to tell me what to do because I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I test it. And if it doesn't do good, then that was just trial and error. You know, it's, it's, but it's one thing when, you know, and I think, um, Howard Stern said this, you know, he was, when he was starting out he was doing what he, what he, what he wanted to do. And then people just kind of come over and they, kind of overruled him and so he just became this dirty talking radio star yeah. to to prove to them that look you can kick me off but i'm gonna keep getting jobs and i'm gonna keep doing what i'm doing because look what's happening now we're the number one radio station in the world we're in the country right we're you know and it's all about it's i, I it's think about I, the, it's about the listeners it's, it's like politics if you don't know anything about the community why are you a politician? Yeah. Quit telling me lies. And that's the same <laughs> way with consultants. So you've got research from New York City. What's that got to do with Nashville, Tennessee? Right. I, I picture it as a big table, and all these old people are just sitting around it, and they're like, okay, well, <laughs> they can have six minutes of talk time, but after that we need at least 66 minutes of commercials and music back-to-back. -back. Like, yeah, And it's exactly. like, but wait a minute. These people, do, they enjoy the music, sure, but they enjoy the chats, the stories, the jokes we tell on our radio station. And I'm pretty sure when they changed all that, and it was, you know, now it's talk for three minutes, and they put all this, you know, this, this segments in between the music and stuff, that the numbers dropped. Exactly. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's crazy. It is crazy. It, and that's one of the reasons I got out. It, it's just... It wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. And hey, I, I've, I've met a lot of people, and and the first uh, country artist I ever met was uh, Dolly Parton. Mm. And this was 73 or 4. Okay. And uh, she came to Hawaii, and then then I met uh, Charlie Pride and Dave and Sugar and, and uh, Merle Haggard. And speaking of Willie Nelson, I got to uh, meet him several times. And uh, there was one concert he was at in uh, North Carolina. Uh, I think the lead guitarist came up to play and, and really stepped back with the band members. And all of a sudden, you see him nodding off. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's Willie Nelson. That's Willie Nelson. Yeah, so you got the opportunity to interview a lot of these artists. Were there ever some where you were just like, I don't know if I can go through with this because I'm just such a big fan. You know, Dano seasoning is changing the world one table at a time by offering the best all natural low sodium seasoning products on the market. Dano's goals are to provide you with real flavors to make healthier food choices without ever having to sacrifice the real taste. Dano's includes low sodium, which is only 50 milligrams per serving. It has all natural unrefined sea salt. There's no sugar, no MSG, no chemicals, and it's completely gluten-free. Also, there's 100% natural ingredients. Dano's seasoning is the most versatile seasoning on the market. Grill, smoke, bake, create soups, sauces, marinades. You can also sprinkle Danos on your eggs, your potatoes, maybe some pizza, maybe some pasta, and even while you're watching a movie, sprinkle some Danos on popcorn. Heck, if you're crazy, why don't you put some Danos on ice cream? Any food that exists, you can put some Danos on it. Go to danosseasoning.com, use my promo code HodgePodge, capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. Guys, remember to do that. Um, just like the spelling of the podcast, a capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. You can try all three flavors, which include original, spicy, and hot chipotle right now today. It's damn good. Yum, yum. Get you some. Uh, no, I never had that problem. I, I, did my, I did research and found out, you know, where they were from and mm -hmm. family members and found out about their community and about them. And talk to them about them instead of the record, and then you got into the record, obviously. 
right. but or wherever they were going to perform, and you would talk about that. But that's how that's how we did it back in the old days. We let people know about these people, and and uh, up to up to the, my end, you know, I I did that all the time. Right. I can you know, I kind of followed um, not not particularly just in your footsteps, but just in footsteps in general of. Real interviews. Not. I'm not going to prepare questions for you. You're not going to get a list. It's. Exactly. I want to talk to you. I, I don't care. Obviously, you're here to promote your stuff. We're going to talk about that. But I want to know stuff that nobody ever talks about. Like the fans are obviously going to know. You know, the main questions everybody gets asked. They're gonna. They know that. They, they've heard yes. it thousands of times. You've answered it thousands of times. I just want to know the personal you. You know, what do you do on a day off? What have you watched on TV recently? You know, that type of stuff. Because I think a lot of people don't get that nowadays, and it's just, oh God, we have to get. You know, it's clickbait, clickbait, clickbait. It's like, oh, we have to. They have to talk about this because if not, then I'm not going to get this amount of views. I don't care if you're on and you're telling a passionate story and I'm enjoying it. You know, and you're enjoying it as well. That's going to come off better on both of us. Exactly. You get to know the artist, and the fan, the fans love that because they're finding out about their artist, other things that they've never heard about. The first one, I like the one I like to remember the most is uh, Ronnie Millsap. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know he, he's blind. Right. And uh, I asked him about uh, this place called Robins, Robinsonville in North Carolina where he went to blind school and it was it was for the blind and he says how did you know that and I'm thinking wow that was a great question and answer man that, that and isn't think, that and you can answer this Robert that is one of the greatest feelings you can have as an interviewer is yes. wow how did you know that or or when they tell you you know wow you're you're really you're really giving it to me like you're really giving me these hard questions instead of these you know, because a lot, I'm pretty sure a lot of them get jaded because they know they have their answers memorized based on what yeah. they're going to ask. Yeah, you know? the same, same, same question, same answers, no matter what, what market that they're, they're in at the time. But, uh, and Ronnie Mills, he was performing there in New Orleans at the time at a club. And a month later, he was in concert in uh, either Biloxi or Gulfport. I, I'm thinking Biloxi. So I drove to Biloxi, me and another person, and uh, after the concert, we went to uh, we went to this restaurant, and all of a sudden, my name was Lou Roberts at the time, and uh, he says, "Hey, Lou," and it was Ronnie Millsap. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, and he and he remembered who I was, and and we sat down at the table and. He started talking about the interview, and I just—that's what it's all about. It was great, and I got—I've got to, you know, interview Willie Nelson, Eddie Arnold, uh, Waylon Jennings, Buku of them, I could say. Right. I want Keith Whitley was another one that I enjoyed talking to. Oh, and Randy Travis. Randy Travis, man, that's Randy Travis is my guy. What was what was that guy like? Well, here's here's a little story to uh, to preface what I'm going to talk about. Sure. Is uh, <coughs> excuse me. Let me take a drink of water. Okay, you're cool. Take your time. In '84, working at uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, <clears throat> we had a music me- uh, meeting. The program director, music director, myself, and somebody else. And we were going through these records, and uh, a name was Randy Trawick. Right. And it was too country. All four of us said it was just, for the time, it was just too country. Because that was when Kenny and Dolly and mm-hmm. a group called Restless Heart and a bunch of those were out, a little more popish. And uh, a, a year later, he's got this big hit. And I came to the, uh, ri- uh, the radio seminar here in Nashville, and got to meet him again. And he, and <laughs> I didn't tell him the story though, but uh, 
it, it was just fascinating. And then he came to Fayetteville, North Carolina for a concert. And we're talking backstage about horses and, and his farm and growing up there in North Carolina. And he was just a good friend, and and he remembered me when I moved out here to Nashville, and it, it was just a good guy. I loved him. You know, that's <clears throat> when you think about it, because like, I read his uh, he's got a memoir called Forever and Never Amen, and he was talking yes. about you know, Randy Treywick. People were telling him it was too country, so he changed his name to Travis. And isn't it crazy how he was too country, but now people are looking at it as that guy is <laughs> he is country. classic country, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what that's what is fascinating about that whole story, especially with Randy and I, and I rem, again remembering that uh, music meeting, and oh, he's too country. And I'm thinking, I've heard this song before when I at the other radio station. It was WKML. Is there you, you've been in the you've been in the radio industry? I'm just in the podcast industry, so I don't really have any type of insight. But I want to know: Is there really a such thing as someone being too country or too popish or too rockish? No, there is in in the industry. Obviously, uh, you know it's why there's Americana. Right. It's a little more country. But uh, if you listen to the radio today, you hear the same. You, you hear the same sound. Yeah, it's the same song. It's the same sound. The production is the same. The singers are the same. They all have a tenor high voice. Uh, there's there's no love songs. There's no trucking songs. There's nothing about that. But there there is a problem with it with the the format itself. There's a lot of kids out there. I watch The Voice every, uh, every time it comes on. Sure. You'd be surprised how much talent is out there. And some of these young kids in their 20s uh -huh. are old-timey <laughs> country. And it just freaks me out. And yeah. I've always, it... if, I, if I had enough money or somebody would pay for it, there, I, I would love to have a record company called ugly records and have only ugly people <laughs> because they are talented and they don't get a chance yeah you know i i wish i were alive back in the 60s and the 70s when you know waylon jennings and johnny cash were putting out these albums because there was not one song alike on the album the first track exactly. could be as country as, as possible. The second could be more rockish. The third one could be yes. more popish. The fourth song could be a gospel song. But you look at stuff now, and it's okay if it if it's not like I hate the way the music industry is because it's like it has to be like for one for example like if you're gonna paint this brick red, all the other bricks have to be red. You can't throw a yellow yes. brick in there. The same, and it irritates me because it's like. Well, look, if this person, obviously there's a lot of people that are in the music industry today that are faking what they're doing because they have to do that. Like, Yeah, they're I, told how to do it. They're told I, how to do it. And, and I it, wish radio, it's not going to, but I wish it would go back to the days where it was, let's play whatever is, is sounding good. Play an album cut. Because... Well, <laughs> I know. I... I, I I worked at another radio station there in New Orleans, the Rock of New Orleans. And that's when we were doing uh, album-oriented rock. And it was great not to play the hits. We All we played was album cuts. And it, it was just, it was fun. And disco was fun. I, I enjoyed all that. I, I enjoy music. It, it just, it, it, it's, it's soothing and it brings back memories and, and it just tells a story. And it, it, it's absolutely great. You know, I I look at it this way. You know, I, I picture my mom doing this because she's the one that does it. It's when you mention that you know people listen in when you played the album cuts in New World or in Louisiana versus not playing the singles or the hits on the radio. That it, it's crazy to me because if you're if you're just a casual listener to the radio. You're going to hear, for example, let's use Luke Bryan, for example. He's big now. 
If you're gonna use, mm-hmm. you're gonna listen to Luke Bryan. They're gonna play that one song every what hour and fifteen minutes until it reaches it's, to top yeah. proportion. It's like if you're listening to it, you're like, damn, Luke Bryan only has this one song out. If you're not a streamer or if you're not listening, down, you're just strictly to the radio, you know. But back in the day, like you said, you play an album cut, you could listen to the radio for three hours straight and not hear the same song repeated and be like, wow, this guy's got a lot of songs out. Exactly. And that, that's, I, I remember, uh, when, when I was doing, doing, um, the program directorship every, every Saturday we would, we would play a new CD mm-hmm. and play the whole album. And, uh, people like that. And you talk about that and you talk about the songs and you, and the writers and, and you give out a little trivia, and people like that. And then you always had uh, an album cut, no matter what, uh, every hour. And they don't do that no more. Yeah. I, I want to talk to you, um, Robert, about a couple of things. But the first thing I want to do is, what was it like personally? Because you've been in radio all these years. You've went through vinyl, and then tape, and then CD, and then digital Kind of how was the transitioning between those going? Like, were you one of those that, like, were you an old school person where it has to stay vinyl? Or, like, are you all, you're the person that's like, times have to change. So something new has to come. Well, that's, that was what was also exciting is we started with the vinyl. Now, right. I could I could probably be a rich man. You know, we used to have to queue up the record and you, it sounded like a scratch. Yeah. And the rappers are now doing scratch, scratch the record. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be a rich man if I'd have thought of that back then. But yeah, it was exciting because it was new and I like new things. Uh, then we went to uh, what they call the cart machine with the music, uh, like an eight track. And then we went to uh, uh CD and that was fun because, but the players, <laughs> they kept skipping on the CDs. And we knew they weren't scratched because you could tell that they weren't scratched. Right. The CD players just, they sucked. And until they, you know, until innovation came around, comes around and you get newer things and newer things. And then, and then digital, that was exciting too. If, if I had a computer back in the seventies, I'd be in LA making cartoons. But, uh, and nowadays it's all digital mm-hmm. and, you don't see who the players are, the producer. You don't see who the writers are. You don't see any of that. You know nothing about this artist. And that's an upsetting thing to me because I loved to look into, like, when I was growing up with CDs. That that was the biggest, that big thing were CDs back in the early 2000s. And I was looking at a CD and I would look and I'd be like, okay, how many times can I see, you know, Donatello on this album? How, what is What has he done to each song? And if he was only one, you're like, Wow, what 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 did he do to piss this person off to not be on the <laughs> other ones? You know, it was just it was just this corporation. But I also can imagine, you know, the mistakes radio had back in the day when you were playing vinyl. Because damn, now I have a record player, and I can imagine just barely bumping the desk the record player is on, and the and the record would just the needle would <laughs> slide all the way over to the other side of the record. <laughs> yeah. And that happened a lot because you would touch it, and all of a sudden you go, <laughs> "Yep." But uh, it, it, you just had to pay attention back then. I, uh, I remember going to the kitchen and there in Hawaii, going to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee, and I guess I messed around a little too long, and I hear the song just about ending, and I ran and I hit my shoulder on, on the door jam. So you, you gotta you gotta sit there and pay attention. And it's like I smoked, but I never, I never really finished a cigarette. Right. It was like you got these. We had two, turn, uh, three turntables, two for forty fives and one in the back for albums. And you always had them queued up, and and you look at the time, you knew what time you had to do, and and you got three commercials to do, and you got to read this PSA. Mm-hmm. Top of the hour, you have to do the ID and. And then uh, do the news, so there was a lot of things to do, and and nowadays I hear dead air, and I'm thinking 
somebody didn't push a button on their computer. <laughs> you know, it's also crazy that, you know, you would have to read these, you know, the, the, the commercials or whatever you have at liners, you would have to read them and you would have to read them live on the air. But now it's yeah. crazy because you can go in and record as many times as you want and get as perfect as possible and only have to record that one for, for, you know, two or three years. Yeah. Just put it into the whole system and it's right well, there. Yeah. Then you come up with new different image liners back yeah. in the day, and it was always changing. But and that's what was exciting is you, you kept you kept the listeners going too because they learned about things like that and they enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun to be on the radio. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's all talk and and not anything. Did you ever think about getting into? Because you mentioned that it wasn't fun anymore because you know everybody was telling you what to do. Have you ever thought, did you ever think about getting into satellite, like going to like Sirius or anything like that? I had thought about it, yes, because uh, I know a lot of guys that are doing that, especially uh, Sirius and and uh, the other one. Uh, I thought about that, but I just, uh, a friend, uh, the publisher of this company here, he uh, called me in 01 and... Uh, asked me if I wanted to come out and work for him. And, and I said, well, yeah, I'm kind of tired of radio now. And I've been here 20 years now yeah. working in the publishing company and, and reading all these uh, songs that these writers have written and stuff like that. So what is your role in the publishing company? What, what, what do you do there? Pretty much just manage the office. Because it's not, you know, it's not a, a major publishing company. It's like an independent record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have three songwriters, Minnie, Trapton Harvey, and Joe Doyle. And Joe's had uh, Jason Aldean cut and stuff like that. Uh, so, and then the publisher who's been around since he came to town in the 70s too, he started up record company called Cinnamon Records. Mm-hmm. And he, he used to send out to us uh, radio people these little red cinnamon drops. And uh, that that goes back. But what I just do is take care of all the single song contracts, uh, sync licenses for movies and TV and, and stuff like that. And uh, just put everything, you know, the demos and guitar vocals and stuff like that in into the computer and listen to good music. I could go on the air right now for four hours and not play. I wouldn't repeat a song and I'd have enough songs that uh, <laughs> I think people would like. Right. You know, many also mentioned to me that you were writing a memoir autobiography. How did that come about? Was it just something, an idea you had or somebody coming to you and was like, Hey man, why don't you write a book? Well, I thought, what it was was my daughter uh, found out through Ancestry how to find uh, my sister, my half-sister. And I, I learned a whole lot about uh, my family and, and my life and stuff like that. And I got to thinking somebody said something that takes a, uh, takes a year to go around the sun, Earth. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. And at this time, I have 73 trips around the sun. And I thought, wow, that I could I could write for my kids, let them know uh, my life through uh, news stories, music, and, and things that I did. And I called it My Trips Around the Sun. So is it, have you written it yet? Is it like, does it no, release? No, I'm still, I'm still writing okay, it. Okay, you're still writing it. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's what, what I do is, uh, I, I found a lot of the his, history, and uh, I have the I found music that was in 1948 is the year I was born. Mm-hmm. So I, I found a song that was uh, popular then in '49, go right right up to today, and uh, figure out some of the songs for that era that that year, and uh, then anytime I have a memory. I write it down and put it in whatever chapter it would be in. Yeah, you know, I was um, 
<clears throat> couple of, it was probably last year I was chatting to uh, Jeannie Seeley on the podcast and oh, uh, yeah. she was mentioning to me about, you know, her greatest memory in music. It had to, it could have been a personal, it could have just been work related, but Robert, I want to know being in the radio business for so long, what is your greatest memory that you're never going to forget? You're going to take it with you. Uh, meeting and becoming friends with Garth Brooks. Now, okay, you have to tell me how this happened, Robert. I have to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina at the time. This was '84, and uh, he he was performing at a club, and he did this song called "Friends in Low Places." Right. This is before any before he became a star. Right. And I'm thinking, wow, what a song. And it was up-tempo and just kicked butt. And then he sat down on a bar stool and said, "Please," or he sang, please come home to Boston, mm-hmm. the Dave Logan song. Right. And he did that acoustically and sounded so good. And I go backstage after the show, or no, this was, I'm sorry, this is before the show, I had gone backstage to meet him and he says, excuse me, Robert, uh, me and the band have to uh, uh, say our prayers before we go out. And I thought, this is a cool dude. Mm -hmm. And the next time I got to meet him and and, uh, he was playing at uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina at a concert and we did a promotion and contest and stuff like that on the air. And I had the limo pick him up because I was going to take him out to dinner, to supper. And I picked up my girlfriend at the time. And uh, (laughs) he came in. She was a hairdresser. And the limo stopped at uh, her place of work. And he goes in and (laughs) freaks her out. Here's Garth Brooks in in, in my shop. Right. And then uh, two or three years later, no, it was longer than that. Uh, whenever Pure, remember the movie Pure Country? Yes. He came to uh, see the premiere here in Nashville. Okay. And I'm sitting there, and he says, "Hey, Robert," and he remembered who I was, and that was probably five or six years later. And I'm thinking, wow. And I remember at dinner in in Fayetteville, we were talking, and he could talk philosophy. He could talk marketing. He was just a good conversationalist. Yeah. And it was just fascinating to, to listen to him. And and obviously we had some things in common because I worked in Oklahoma City. And, uh, of course, that's the area he's from. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot to talk about that. About that. And uh, it, it was just one of those memories that I always treasure. Yeah, you know. I kind of have a Garth Brooks story. I've never, I've never shared it, and it's happened two or three years ago. I uh, interviewed his daughter on the podcast, and you know, just out of the blue, about I mean, it had to have been a month later. I get an email from this weird email. Well, it wasn't a weird email address. I just didn't recognize it, and it was. It just said, "Hey, thank you for you know interviewing my daughter." Yada yada. I enjoyed it so much. Whenever you're yeah. in Nashville, come over and we'll have some supper. And it was signed G. It was freaking Garth Brooks that just sent me a personal email. Yeah. And I was like, for me, being Garth Brooks, one of the greatest of all time, was just hyperventilating. And I'm like, you know, how is this happening to me? And I imagine it's the same thing with you. How is this happening? Oh, yeah. oh I know. And I think of all the, the people I have met or emceed and stuff. The first MC, the first uh, person I ever MC'd was a place called uh, in Ardmore, Oklahoma. It's when I was w- working in Oklahoma City, mm. and it was at this club, and there must have been seven hundred people in there. It was crowded. I mean, it was crowded. And the program director said, "Do you want to MC this?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to," because I had never done that. And this was in '83. And uh, 
we, I go up on stage, he tells me everything I'm supposed to say, and I'm already nervous because there's this big crowd there. And, you know, you're a radio guy. You don't talk to people in front of you. Right. And uh, it was George Strait, who I am seeing. And, man, that was so much fun. <laughs> Robert, look, it, 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 it's it's crazy. You know, it it's crazy to think that, and forgive me for saying this, but stupid little us, you know what I mean? Stupid little us get yeah. to experience this life. This I know. life. And it's people you never thought would even take a chance of talking to you, let alone know you exist, yeah. are like, hey, man, good job. And that, to me, you know, I may never make a million dollars I may never, you know, blast this entertainment company like I want to off the rails, but I can say because of that, I've succeeded, you know, <laughs> and it's crazy well, to say that. It's not crazy because that's the way, that's the way life is. I, I found that out. Like I told you earlier, I wanted to work in number one radio station markets like New York and LA and yeah. things like that. Oh, uh, I worked in, well, I take Columbia, Mississippi. That's not a, that's a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Fayetteville, North Carolina. But I worked in a, a little place called Clinton, North Carolina, about 7,000 people. I had fans all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's just like being in New York City. You don't have to be in New York City. You can you can have fun and be a star in a small town. Yeah. And it just, it, and it freaks me out to the things that I have accomplished and done and it, it, it just it, it was fun it was just literally fun it's fun and robert you have definitely made many trips around the sun um look man our time is up we've been going for an hour <laughs> i only wow. got you both for an hour I, but look I, I could talk to you all day i, I really could i we, we're, we're hitting it off and we you know so much about radio that we haven't even gotten to the depths of. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I can appreciate that too. And there was a lot of things, but uh, again, it was just it was fun doing it, being a part of it, and I, I just I treasure it. Well, Robert, look, I appreciate all the time that you've given me here. I'm probably not as good as an interviewer as you are, um, but I, I really do appreciate you joining me today. No, I appreciate you having me on and talking about my past and and hope that you got something out of it or had fun at least. I did. I know that. It, it was uh, exciting and enjoyable. You know, Dano's seasoning is changing the world one table at a time by offering the best all-natural low-sodium seasoning products on the market. Dano's goals are to provide you with real flavors to make healthier food choices without ever having to sacrifice the real taste. Dano's includes low sodium, which is only 50 milligrams per serving. It has all natural unrefined sea salt. There's no sugar, no MSG, no chemicals, and it's completely gluten-free. Also, there's 100% natural ingredients. Dano's seasoning is the most versatile seasoning on the market. Grill, smoke, bake, create soups, sauces, marinades. You can also sprinkle Danos on your eggs, your potatoes, maybe some pizza, maybe some pasta, and even while you're watching a movie, sprinkle some Danos on popcorn. Heck, if you're crazy, why don't you put some Danos on ice cream? Any food that exists, you can put some Danos on it. Go to danosseasoning.com, use my promo code HodgePodge, capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. Guys, remember to do that. Um, just like the spelling of the podcast, a capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. You can try all three flavors, which include original, spicy, and hot chipotle right now today. It's damn good. Yum, yum. Get you some. We are sponsored by Ray's Energy. Powered by the enhanced refresh technology, Ray's Energy delivers with a performance-enhancing energy drink that aids in the most often overlooked categories. Raise Energy targets focus, enhances your recovery time, improves clean energy levels, and boosts your stamina and hydration. Most importantly, each single can of Raise Energy has absolutely zero calories, zero sugar, and zero carbohydrates, which that gives you a smarter and more healthier option. 
you should not have to settle for an energy drink that contains more sugar and carbs than you can count. Opt for the number one fan-voted energy drink on the market today with Raise Energy. If you want to get yourself a can of Raise Energy, go to repsports.com, R-E-P-P, sports.com. Use my promo code HPP1000, HPP1000 at checkout, and you will receive a generous discount. Thank you.